Yeah, boom, go. You notice you have a clock up there and it's winding down. Everybody knows. I noticed, wasn't necessarily tonight, but I, I noticed a lot of times I'll see Luther get up from his chair back there. He'll walk down the aisle. He'll greet a few people. But as soon as his body hits that pew, boom, it's, it's time. So keep your eye on Luther. He's usually pretty good about it. I thought he was going to mess up tonight because he headed out the door. I thought, I'm going to get him tonight. But no, nope, not Luther. I want to remind you of something that is a little bit new. And that is on Wednesday evening, this Wednesday, before we go off to Bible class, we're going to have a combined meeting here in the auditorium. That's everybody. We'll have a short devotional along with the announcements that pertain to the function of the church here and prayer, probably sing song. So want to just let you know, it'll be a little bit different. So for instance, if you're in my annex class and you show up and it's seven o'clock and nobody's there. Oh, that's right. Ken said we were going to meet over in the auditorium. Okay. Everybody good. Hey, by the way, where are we starting services Wednesday night? Anybody know? In the auditorium at seven o'clock. It'll just be a few minutes, but it's another effort, you know, in the middle of the week. Just get a chance to, to say hello to people you haven't seen in a few days and to catch up on everything that's happening. All right. I failed to mention about Brenda Donovan. She was keeping some dogs this week and got kind of twisted up with one. It didn't appreciate it or it was under stress and it bit her in the knee and it wouldn't let go. And that resulted in the tearing of some tendons or ligaments in her knee. And then she fell, which complicates it. Nothing was broken, although she hit so hard she thought maybe she broke her hip. She just really sore, I think. And it's going to take some time for recovery, but um, you're not here, are you, Brenda? Okay. Please remember Brenda in your prayers as she recovers from all of that. Let's see. Oh, I also failed to mention something else. Now, this morning, just, I don't know about you, but that, that song before the sermon, for me getting up, just, man, that was so emotional and thinking about how special it was for today, getting together. I could not think of anything but just sentimental sort of things, not something trivial. And then, after that passed, I thought, wait a minute, I should have said something that took place that we had been anticipating for the year. If you were here when I came and tried out for this congregation, when I spoke, I just simply mentioned one of the benefits of having me around is that when, <laughs> when we were in Tennessee, the Tennessee Vols won a national championship. And then we moved to Alabama. And I'm telling you, it seemed like if Alabama wasn't winning a national championship, Auburn was. Now we've moved to Mississippi. And it was, you know, wondering kind of, is it a coincidence? Is there something to it? Well, 
As we've been living here, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of schools in our area, just high schools, have been winning state championships. And then the other night, this past week, Mississippi State, who has, by the way, never won any national title of any kind, won the national championship in baseball. Again, I ask, is it just a coincidence or is there something to it? Unfortunately, I'm afraid that this now is a year-to-year -year deal. And, you know, if somebody don't step up and win one, I'm feeling a little nervous. But I'm hopeful. Uh-oh. How did lacrosse do? Uh, we'll go for any of it. How's the chess team? Uh, stuff like that. But um, for those of you who are fans, uh, I'm happy for you. That, that was good. All right. Um, so much for the trivial stuff. Now, we're going to sing a song together, then have a prayer, and we'll begin our study. We're going to sing number 390. 390. You will notice several things in this song that pertain to what you've been reading in the book of Numbers. Mm -hmm. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings that we've already enjoyed being a part of your family here in Boonville. We're thankful that circumstances are such that we are getting back together. And it was such a joy to be together with brothers and sisters today to worship you. And here we are again, 
We're assembled studying your word, and I'm praying, Lord, that you'll bless us as we learn more about your history with your people and how what happened in the past bears upon us now. Help us, Father, to be aware of the importance of our being faithful to you. And just as we sang, we were reminded of events of the past of your faithfulness to your people, but we know of circumstances when the people weren't very faithful to you. We don't want to be that way. We want to serve you and honor you in all that we do. So Lord, help us to be good students of your word and attentive to it and benefiting from the warnings that we find in scripture. Please help us to appreciate the things that we read so we can make the right kind of application to our lives. We pray for those who are sick. And we mentioned so many this morning, and uh, we're reminded now this evening of Brenda's situation with her knee. We pray that she'll heal and she'll be back with us very soon. And we just pray, Lord, for all those who are suffering that you will provide relief. Please bless us tonight and the furtherance of our study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are studying the book of Numbers. It's part of one aspect, one-fifth of the five books of Moses that we have undertaken a synopsis-type study of, looking at some of the general elements of the books with the intention of just setting it up so that you, when, when you read it, You'll kind of have a, a big overview, a big picture of how the book kind of fits in historically. And when you read through it, you'll benefit from some of the background information. So you don't necessarily have to search around and see how things fit together. That's, that's really the purpose of this. So if you're jotting down notes, which I hope you are, you've already noticed several things that were important. We we are basically starting in this book with the second year of what was happening with God's people following their freedom from Egyptian bondage. And that history carries all the way through the 40 years, such that by the time we finish the book, we are ready to go into the promised land. All the wilderness wandering has taken place. We also are aware that while it covers the period of 40 years, it really only deals with two years in particular. It deals with year two, and it deals with year 40. It also is called Numbers, and that pertains to the title of this book, because the book contains within, within it the numbering of the people on two different occasions. One of those occasions is in chapter one, that corresponds with the original generation of people, the ones who originally were to enter into the land of promise, but because of unfaithfulness were not allowed to go. And then the second numbering is in chapter 26, in preparation for the people, the next generation, those who were under 20 years of age during the unfaithfulness period, those folks are being numbered as they prepare their entry into the land of promise. What's well, kind of, I think this is pretty significant. I thought I would mention it, didn't mention it last time. 
But in the numbering, now you have a numbering of the tribes, the people themselves, and then you have a separate type numbering of the Levites. As pertains to the general class of people, in chapter 1, you have a numbering of 603,550. In chapter 26, as regards the group that's going to go into the land, I, I will tell you that in my mind I was thinking, oh, there must be a vast difference between those groups of people because you're talking about everybody from age 20 up, however old they were, that died in that wilderness. So everybody younger than that is only the group that's going to go into the promised land. But we find out in that numbering that there are 601,730. That's only a difference of 1,820 people. Does that strike you at all? That knocks me out. So there was, now think about this. You've got, you've got, you've got people who most likely know, know they're going to perish in the wilderness. But did they stop having children? Did they stop having hope for a future? No, no. They went about doing what? Living their lives, right? And as you're going along, people are still interacting. People are still doing things. They are doomed to perish in that wilderness wandering. How many different times were they told, because of your unfaithfulness, your carcass is going to fall dead on the wilderness floor, you know? But despite knowing that they're going to perish, they continued right along with their lives and the generation that was to enter into the promised land was practically the same size as the group that was originally going to go into the promised land. Now, if, if that doesn't knock it out of the park for you, peace. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one just giddy about it. But I just thought that that is really something. Now, I wanted to, I think it, Rick, was it you that read Deuteronomy 24 for us uh, last time? I think it was. I'm not, not sure exactly sure. But I, I wanted to think with you again as we, as we start this, because Deuteronomy literally is the book that deals with the second law or the second telling of the Ten Commandments. And in that book, there is a reassertion of some truths that God had established a long time ago with regard to his people and his interactions with them, what he would do and what he would not do. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, Rick, if, if you'll look those up, you've got a good strong voice. Deuteronomy 28. We're going to look at verse 1 and then we're going to look at verse 15. Okay, verse 1. Okay, so the second generation of people, you know that they are going to do what? This next generation of people, they're going to enter into the promised land. They're going to be led by Joshua and a contingent of faithful leaders. They're going to go into that promised land because over the course of these 40 years. Now, some people are like, well, what was, what was the purpose in all that? Well, the purpose in all of that was to build up a new generation of people who are going to be educated, 
who are going to see God faithful at every turn, satisfying every need that exists and protecting them in this wilderness wandering, who demonstrates not just his protective care, but that when he says to do something, he absolutely means a business. So here is, here is 40 years of development of a group of people who are going to know absolutely that God is the almighty God of heaven. Everything that they had heard before, even from their parents and otherwise, is true and they can trust him. And on the basis of all of that experience, when they have a similar event, as they go into the land of promise, there's again going to be the, you know, the, the expectations and the parting of the water. And they're, they're going to have a lot of experiences that are similar to the original uh, leaving from the, uh, from the Egyptian bondage. But now as they go forward, they have, a, they have reaffirmed, even with the same, generally the same number of people traveling in this bunch, they're reaffirming who God is and their interaction with him. And if they will be faithful, the, the standard promise of God is you remain faithful. And not only I'm going to give you success, I'm going to give you success above all the nations around you. You are going to be a leader in the world. And then verse 15. Okay, if you're faithful, this is simple. And this, this is always going to be right. If you're faithful to me, I'm going to bless you. If you are unfaithful to me, what? I'm not. <laughs> um, that's right. I'm not going to bless you. I, in fact, more than that, more than just withholding the blessing, God's going to curse them. He's going to bring it down on them. Now, you know how this thing turns out. Is that true? Or was that just a general proverb? Sometimes true, sometimes not true. No, it was very true. It was absolutely true. Listen, again, I ended on this note. And I don't know, I'm pretty, pretty passionate about this particular thing. God means what he says. God is a promise-keeping God. So if God said that, that meant that it was, it wasn't just an important rule to remember. It's a warning of God. God's revealing something about himself. Warning, if you don't remain faithful, I, I, here, here is my nature. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call for payment. I'm going to have to curse you for that. I, don't expect that the blessings are going to continue to flow. It isn't a sentimental thing. It is a covenantal thing. So if you're not faithful to the covenant, you're going to pay the price as a result of that. Now, also as pertains to, and we're, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the, the message of the book right now. Uh, part of what regards that message were the last couple of things we didn't really get to last time. I wanted, wanted to spend just a few minutes on that. And one is that, okay, the book of Numbers is describing really two scenarios related to what Rick just read for us. One scenario is, okay, if, 
if you, if you are a people that are unfaithful, it, it is like it is today. You're a person who is basically just going to run around in circles with, with no resting place in sight. If you are not faithful to God, that means that you're not a part of God's agenda or you have chosen to set yourself outside of the agenda of God. And you basically, in your life, you're just running around in circles. Now, I know a lot of people like that. I have people in, in, very close to me who live a life like that. They, they have not fully submitted themselves to God and it is like in their life, they just go from one catastrophe to another and they don't have the support, they don't have the encouragement that you and I would have because they have distanced themselves from God. And in their lives, truly, it could be said, they just run around in circles. That's basically what was happening in the 40 years of, and here's how it's described, wilderness wandering. When you wander around in the wilderness, where is it that you are going? Nowhere. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. If I am not subscribed to the will of God, if I'm not faithful to God, I do not know where I am going. That is the general epithet that we probably could put for most men. That's what Jeremiah said, right? It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We think we're in control, but that isn't the case. This is God's thing. If I'm not in God's way, I'm outside of it. I'm a wanderer, just as is depicted here. The other side of that is, if I will give myself to the will of God, then I have direction. I know where it is that I'm going. I have an assurance of things future. So while the events of this life can, you know, consternate us, can get us very frustrated, and we don't particularly know how to go this way or that, our, our settlement, our, our final destination, our home is not here. And so we need to keep looking forward. And that way we can transcend a lot of the things that get people's attention and frustrate them and take their joy away. That's a lot about this book. Okay, another thing, and we'll get, we'll get more into this when we consider some purposes, especially the, the Christological purpose, but I just wanna to touch on this a little bit. There are some famous events that take place in this book that introduce to us Jesus. And in fact, the New Testament scriptures reflect back on some of these events because they are so significant and they tie them to Jesus himself. One has to do with that pretty interesting event that takes place with regard to the bronze serpent. Uh, someone read Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9 for us. Now I say bronze, I was in a Bible class where someone said, wait a minute, my translation says brass, and brass and bronze are not the same, so which translation is right? And I'm not kidding you, there was a debate that was enjoined that lasted for like 20 minutes or so. 
People wanted to do all these word studies and check on this and that and how it was referenced here and there and everywhere. Well, I really don't get into that kind of, what, detail, uh, trying to frustrate and understanding. What you will find when you look into that word is that the word that's translated brass in one translation actually could have been translated bronze. And in those translations that have the word bronze there for the Hebrew word, it could otherwise have been translated brass. So guess what? There are two sides to the, have you ever heard this one? Two sides to the same coin? Okay, they're the same, they're the same thing. So whether you have brass or bronze, if it's offensive to you, I'm sorry, think of the other word. Okay, who has that text for us? Okay, go. Yeah, just one verse, not five or ten. Okay. Okay. So, here's what's happened. Some of the people, they started complaining about the manna and the way God's taking care of us and he's doing a terrible job and we're hungry. So you know what God did? He sent serpents to bite them. So much for your lack of gratitude. But is God a merciful and loving God? Yes, he is. So with the plague of the serpents, God provided a means of escape. And it, oh man, this, this is a whole other subject altogether. But also in the book of Numbers, yeah, there is the judgment of God. And sometimes when people break God's law, he just drops them dead on the spot. But there are other times when God demonstrates just an incredible amount of grace and mercy in these circumstances. So here are these people who definitely are wrong because they are murmurers. Does God hate murmuring? God hates that. So when people murmur, God is upset and he sends serpents to bite you and kill you. But listen, if you'll come to your senses and obey me, in this case, I'm going to put this bronze serpent or brass serpent, whatever you'd like. I'm going to put this serpent up on this pole and I'm going to erect it up there for everybody to see. And whoever looks on it, you'll be saved. Now, that's, here's, here's the cool thing about this. That was a unique, kind of one-off type situation. You don't really hear that much more about it. Just one little section in there. And when you're reading it, you go, huh, that's a pretty novel thing. What about that? That's weird. I don't get it. And you move on and you forget all about it. Except that Jesus comes along. And someone read John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay. You get that? Wait a minute. There was that kind of unique situation with the serpents and uh, they're going to die because of their sin. But if they will look 
and see that serpent and believing, right? Faith, believing that in looking upon that serpent, as Moses had said, God said, that will save you. In believing that, what would happen to them? They'd be saved. Now, here we go, these hundreds of years later, and we're looking at Jesus. And oh, by the way, hey, you remember when Moses put up that serpent? In the same way, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to be lifted up. And so what do we need to do with Jesus being lifted up? Where do we need to be looking? Oh, oh right. We need to be looking at Jesus because he is the source of what? He is the source of our salvation. You remember this little statement, John 8, 21? If you do not believe that I am he, what will happen to you? You will die in your sin. If you do not believe what God says about that serpent, what's going to happen to you if you've been bit? You are going to die. But if you act in faith, you do what God says, what will happen to you now? You will be saved. Is this not the simplest principle that there ever was? We saw it from Deuteronomy. And now we're seeing it in this instance. And I'm telling you, the metaphors... Now, this wasn't just... It, he kind of turns it into a metaphor, right? Um, a simile, like this, so this. But still, it was an actual event. That actual event was so... Was so... Had such great results associated with it. The demonstration of God's faithfulness. That when we started talking about Jesus today... Oh, oh, by the way, remember that little incident? Very little spoken of, but you remember that? That's Jesus. That is Jesus up there. You think those Old Testament scriptures did not speak of Jesus continually? Absolutely. He's all in there. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he met up with some disciples who didn't recognize him initially, finally they know he's the Savior. He didn't just say, hey, you know, good, pat him on the back, have a great day. He sat down and he taught them what? The scriptures. He started with these types of scriptures, the law and the prophets. He went through them and he said, this is that. This, this is me. See this? So when we go back to those Old Testament scriptures, it is just a reaffirmation of the power and the presence of Jesus back in those events. Okay, so there is there's the serpent thing. And then I had never noticed this before. Somebody read Psalm 78, verse 25. I should have you do it, JT, because you're the one that, you're the one that showed this to me. I'd never seen this before in my life. Uh, Psalm 78 and verse 25. Then a Angel's food. What was he referring to in that text? The manna that came down from heaven. Somebody, JT said, uh, what was manna? And I was like, uh, well, and I was going to describe, you know, what the text said about it. And, you know, kind of had a taste like honey and must have been kind of yummy. And he's just looking at me like, like, you don't know what I know, do you? And I was, no. And he said, uh, you ever read Psalm 78 verse 25? And I said, uh, what does it say? Clearly I had not. 
what does it say? And he read that to me. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Angel's food. Okay. So now look at John chapter 6, 32 to 40. John chapter 6, 32 to 40. Who would read that text for us? John 6, 32 to 40. Okay, so JT shared with me that text. I've shared it with you. Oh, what amazing. That's just amazing, Ken. So the, the, the Bible's describing that manna from as being the angel's food. All oh, that must have been the most amazing thing to eat, to eat angel's food. Oh, that'd be transformational. Compare angel's food, manna, to Jesus as the bread of heaven. Is there even any comparison? No. And I think, oh, that's fascinating. Boy, that must have been pretty special to eat that manna. They got sick of it. But Jesus isn't that kind of bread. And I don't know how your mind works, but when I read that and see that scenario, my mind immediately goes to the book of Hebrews wherein apparently there were some people who thought pretty highly of angels and were even putting them and what they considered to be their relation to God and maybe even some, some um, I don't know, some, some teachings of the day where angels were being elevated, maybe doctrines being associated with them, that the Hebrews writer makes it pretty clear that any angel that exists sits in what relation to Jesus, the Son of God? Under, under, under. Jesus is way greater than any angel. And so I think, wow, the angels, that's amazing. Yeah, okay, that's novel, and it's pretty neat to talk about. But all of that and, and the, the, the presentation of that man and God providing for them and sustaining their lives. And all of that was just a foreshadowing 
of what to come. Of Jesus as the ultimate food from heaven. The bread that when you eat it, what's going to happen? Not just that you're never going to be hungry again, but that text says, so that you may have eternal life. Beautiful. And then there's that matter of them being in the wilderness. And again, when, when I think of the wilderness wanderings, I think about those people who were unfaithful to God. But do you realize that even in the midst of that wilderness wandering of a people who were doomed, whose carcasses were going to fall in that, that wilderness area because of their unfaithfulness, there is God even yet. Someone read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Okay, so the preservation of their lives, the protection that God was providing as they were going about this period in their lives, all, all of that is going to foreshadow original, actual events and interaction with God, but all of that is going to foreshadow something greater that would come. And when we get to our uh, Christological section, uh, we're going to see some, some beautiful things that come out of this book. Okay, so we want to talk some about the purpose of this book, and we're breaking it down like we do with the other books. We're thinking about the historical purpose, the doctrinal or the scriptural purpose, and we'll look at the uh, Christological purpose as well. All of those Historicals, just to kind of see, what, what, why was this book written? What, what purpose did it serve for the people historically? Why have that book? Why was that relied upon as uh, in the canon of Jewish scriptures? Then doctrinally, there are some things that are mentioned in that book that not were just impactful for them, but those doctrines uh, carry through uh, the entire scriptures. And then we look at some things that really highlight Jesus. Okay, historically. What are, some, what are some reasons for this book being in existence to begin with? Why do we have the book of Numbers? Historically. What's the purpose of it? Historically. Okay. All right. Kind of ordered ordered everything, separated them out, and that's that's evidence in those two numberings, right? Chapter one, chapter twenty-six. Who said something over here? Yes, and you think that these? You, you remember when the people first returned from Babylonian captivity? What was done? Ezra did it. Ezra stood up in front of the people and what did he do all day? Well, not all day, till the noontime at least. He was reading the scriptures and explaining the scriptures. What scriptures was he reading and explaining? Well, among which were these. So when these people who had been in 
Babylonian captivity have now come back to Jerusalem that has been ravaged and their purpose is to rebuild this city and have a fresh start. When you go and then read what happened in the book of Numbers, what does that do for you? Man, it should flat build your faith. And it is also a, starts with a W, ends with a G and has an arning in it. A warning. It is a warning. You know what? Yeah, God is providing for you. He is going to protect you as you come out of this season of your life, the 70 years of captivity. You're coming back to the city. God is going to provide for you, but you had better be faithful. Because if you aren't faithful, what is, what is God's economy relative to faithfulness and unfaithfulness? Absolutely. You don't, you don't fall after God, you're bankrupt. You, you, don't, you don't subscribe to the will of God. You turn your back on that and you can forget his protection. So it's, it's instructional. You read that, it's an account of what happened, of what God did with them all those years. Again, kind of in my mind, if, if we were going to write a book that covered from year one, every single year, what happened every year through year 40, how big would the book of Numbers be? <laughs> Huge, right? And I mentioned to you, there, there are really only two other events that were mentioned apart from just two specific years. Uh, the first is in chapter 16, where you deal with Aaron's rod that budded, right? Uh, and or, uh, Korah's rebellion, and then in chapter 17 of Aaron's rod that budded. In the mind of God, God gives the bookends. Here's what was happening with the original group, and, and you see how they ended. The, their carcasses fell in the wilderness. Over here, here's what happened in those intervening years. Now we've got a people that are prepared and ready to go into the promised land. Let's go get them, right? We're fired up. We know that God's with us. So this book historically serves to do those things. Yeah, it only covers basically 38 and a half years, but that the two primary years, chapter uh, year two and year 40, are those that, that kind of set as examples for all of history to take in. Was it necessary to cover every aspect of what happened if you know where we started and now where we have ended up? Okay, we're going to stop right here because we only have three minutes left. Uh, next time we will look at the doctrinal purposes and then the Christological purposes. And then we only have one book left. Can you believe that? That's amazing. We're moving right along. And by the way, are, are you reading? Have you read up through the book of Numbers? Okay, we have several. Please do that. It's to your benefit. I'm not taking a grade and that's not going to going to be the measure of your person, but I do encourage you to read these. It'll be uh, more meaningful, helpful to you. You'll, you'll pick up a lot of stuff you'll remember for the future. Okay, uh, we always give uh, two opportunities. One is an opportunity uh, following our service. If you'd like to speak with one of our elders or myself, uh, maybe something pertaining to uh, the sermon this morning or maybe something about faithfulness tonight, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's something else. You need prayers and encouragement. We want to offer that. And if our elders would raise their hands,
Okay, one, two, and three. They're interspersed through the body here. Uh, if you'd like to speak with one of them, they'll take as much time as is necessary to meet your spiritual need. The other thing is if you were not here this morning or you came in late, you didn't realize we meet at 930. You came in at the tail end of it. You were not able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's prepared. Uh, we have someone have a, a short devotional with you. Uh, we want to make available to you the opportunity. So we're going to have a prayer now. And then after that prayer, we'll be dismissed. And if you need need those services, you can go to the back. I hope you have a, a great rest of the day. And Lord willing, we'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday where we will meet where first? In here. Great. Okay. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for all the many opportunities for learning and especially the opportunities to worship. And we we thank you for the privilege and blessing that that is. Help us to never take our relationship with you for granted, to protect it with all that we have. We pray, Father, that you'll keep us safe in our travels home. If it's your will that you'll give us a new day, pray that we'll put into practice in a powerful way the things that we have learned and be a great example to others in this community. Lord, we pray for our sick and injured, and we pray for their recovery to be back with us very soon. Help us to look amongst ourselves and be an encouragement to others. We thank you for all that you do, and for Jesus in particular. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.